Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe, doing a mailbag edition of the podcast this week before I go on vacation. So first of all, what could happen to the eligibility to the players involved in the gambling investigation? So a lot of it depends on the severity. There's a lot that we don't know, particularly in terms of what type of gambling activity this is. That is probably going to be the biggest determining factor. So the Iowa Racing and Gaming Commission has basically suggested that there's, well, more than suggested, has said that there's no reason to believe that the integrity of Iowa or Iowa State events have been in question. So that would theoretically mean that point shaving, something like that, is not suspected. That would be the most severe case. If they go on, if this is a case of something like going on, say, FanDuel or DraftKings or you name the apps, you all probably know them better than me. If you look at, if it's any of those, this could be a pretty severe penalty still. Virginia Tech had a football player who self-reported bets on, I believe, his NBA Finals games. It's certainly NBA games. I think is the NBA Finals not realizing that he was violating the rules. He finds out that he's violating the rules. He self-reports right away. There are a lot of reasons where you would think they might have a pretty good case for leniency. And then his suspension was for nine games. He appeals it. The appeal goes down to six games. So he still missed half of his senior season. It's not like you can use that time as redshirt either when you're suspended. Like that was obviously a pretty severe case for something that you would think would not be a problem in terms of you or I could make that bet and it wouldn't be a problem. I doubt that that Virginia Tech player had any inside insights to what was going to happen in those NBA games, but still a pretty stiff penalty despite that. That's kind of where that stands. Obviously, NCAA investigations are not necessarily known for their speed, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Each thing is a unique scenario. As much as we'll try to look at other cases that have some similarities to this. Then a question, how is the turnout for the iClub event in Cedar Rapids on May 11th? For those who weren't aware Kurt Ferentz, Tom Brands, and then depending on the event, either Fran McCaffrey or one of his assistant coaches, Matt Gaydens, were doing events this past week around the state to kind of interact with donors and fans. They had one in Carroll County, one in West Des Moines, and then the third one was in Cedar Rapids. And the Cedar Rapids one, I was at the West Des Moines one and the Cedar Rapids one, The Cedar Rapids one, I counted 57 people plus Gary Dolphin and the three coaches who are speaking. Compared to other events, that's pretty low. The West Des Moines one had more than 300, the same for the one in Carroll County. So obviously not a great sign for Iowa in terms of you want to have Cedar Rapids as kind of a place that you have locked in terms of, or kind of locked in as a fan base. That's obviously a key market for Iowa, considering you've got those 8 p.m. basketball games. How many people from Des Moines are going to make that drive 
that can get pretty late. Some people certainly do. And, you know, tip of the hat to everyone who does. But you really need that Cedar Rapids base. I'm sure that's something that caught Iowa's attention for sure. Um, Another question, Eric Hall's potential as an X receiver. It's an intriguing possibility. We saw Samuel Borga line up out wide last year, and you can see some similarities between Laporta and All. The challenge is to use the Laporta example. Sam was able to get by being out wide, but he really seemed to be at his best when he was at the natural tight end position. After all, you know, there's a reason why you don't see everyone lining up their tight ends out wide all the time. It works to some extent, but it's not perfect. You have a lot of reasons for intrigue of how, particularly with the reason why this would make more sense maybe this year than other years, is when you look at who your other receivers are, you've got a lot of guys who are more inline or slot guys than they are out wide. So you have to put somebody out wide. And that's why we're kind of talking about this intriguing possibility here, because you've got Keel Brown, the Ohio State transfer, obviously a lot of hype around him. He's been primarily a slot guy in his, albeit limited opportunities at Ohio State. Nico Ragaini was a slot guy. You've got a lot of depth at tight end. So you look at it and you don't necessarily have a ton of guys who would be your prototypical X receiver. That's the, or at least experienced guys who would be your prototypical X receiver. So hence why it could be a possibility. Long answer short, I think it's intriguing. I think there's a lot of potential there in terms of the mismatches, but also a little bit of caution just because there is the perfect person for that X spot would be somebody you'd think more like a Keegan Johnson type, where if he didn't transfer, you'd feel pretty good about him at the X. You know, there's a little bit of a speed difference as fast as Eric is between 196 for Keegan Johnson versus I think it's 255 for Eric Hall. But that goes both ways because then you have a cornerback who could have an interesting matchup against a really big receiver with all. And then a question about information on the Des Moines doubleheader. So Iowa men's and women's basketball are going to be playing a doubleheader in Des Moines in December. Women's basketball will be playing Cleveland State and men's basketball will be playing Florida A&M. Tickets go on sale later this month. Would not be surprised if this were to sell out considering it's People in Des Moines, it's their chance to see Caitlin Clark without having to drive two hours. So you look at it that way and you look at how difficult it is. Well, it's going to be to get women's basketball tickets this year. These tickets, I think, could sell really fast. Caitlin Clark, her senior year, of course, she could be a super senior if she wants to with the COVID year, but her at least traditional senior year, a game back in Des Moines, the general area where she's from. It's a cool thing, I'm sure, for Clark as well. A cool event in terms of having some of these more creative non-conference setups rather than, say, a game that otherwise would kind of just be a run-of-the-mill non-conference game that maybe people wouldn't be getting super excited about. In terms of the opponents, 
Cleveland State is a respectable women's basketball team. They went to the NCAA tournament last year, lost to Villanova, but Villanova with Maddie Segrist, that's a tough matchup. You know, you're looking at an NCAA tournament team coming to Des Moines on the women's basketball side. Iowa obviously will be the heavy favorites, but it's a more respectable team than the Nebraska Kearneys of the world. Then on the men's side, Florida A&M, can't say as much about them. They were depending on, or actually regardless of which metric you prefer, whether you prefer their net ranking, whether you prefer their Ken Palm ranking. I look at Ken Palm a lot, but regardless of which metric you use, they were one of the worst teams in college basketball last year in the SWAC conference. You know, that's not really a riveting opponent there. It's still a chance if you live in central Iowa to see the Hawkeyes up close. And again, with the huge ticket interest for women's basketball in general, it would not surprise me to see that event do very well. If I were the one organizing it, obviously I'm not. But if I were, I think you have to make the women's basketball game be the nightcap because I think that's really going to be the high interest game, especially with Iowa coming off a national runner-up finish. You know, probably the best year in, or yeah, best year in program history. Yeah, that's going to be the really interesting part of it. Should be a cool event. I'll be curious to see how quickly it sells out if it does. And then a question about why Iowa lost a high-profile recruit to Iowa State. Cody Chittum, a junior national champion, flipped his commitment from Iowa to Iowa State this week. Wrestling is not one of the sports that I particularly do a ton of coverage on. My Gazette colleague, KJ Pilcher, is the one who really focuses on wrestling. But just from my vantage point, from a little more distant away, the timing of landing a middleweight in the transfer portal, I think it was exactly the day before, I'm guessing is probably not coincidental, where that's an interesting thing about this whole transfer portal world that we live in in 2023 is okay particularly for some of these sports where you have fewer roster spots like okay football is one thing because okay you're me taking a quarterback every year but with some of these others when you have such and such program just landed this really good transfer that could potentially affect recruiting in terms of okay how much of an opportunity is there going to be for me right away that could be an impact. With football, I don't think you're going to see that as much just because, okay, if you're insert 2024 recruit name here, if you're a 2024 recruit and you see they just got Cade McNamara. So let's say we're talking about James Reesar, the 2024 quarterback commit. You're probably not going to be as concerned about it because Cade has two more years of eligibility So it'd be one year of overlap. The odds of James playing anyways as a true freshman, probably pretty low, just because that's how things work, particularly at Iowa. It's not as much of an issue because you have that development time in football as it could be potentially in some other sports. Will Iowa run any special packages on offense with the second string quarterback? I would be surprised to see that. I'm going to be paraphrasing here because he said this probably a year or so ago. Brian Ferentz has repeated the adage that somebody else before him came up with, 
if you have two quarterbacks, really you have no quarterbacks. So the odds of a two quarterback system at Iowa just really are unlikely, at least as long as Brian Ferentz's offensive coordinator and Kurt Ferentz's head coach. So I will be curious, though, to see how that second string quarterback race goes. Joe Labus was the incumbent in that QB2 spot going into the spring. Then Kurt Ferentz signaled that Deacon Hill would be the QB2 if the season were to begin on April 21st or 22nd or whatever that Saturday was when spring practices ended. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Does Labus retake that? He obviously has that experience in the system. Or does Deacon Hill grab that spot with his familiarity with John Budmeyer? Certainly you liked what you saw out of Labus in the Music City Bowl. So that's another big thing that will probably be a feather in the cap of Labus is you've seen him under difficult game scenarios where he didn't get those first or second team reps during the season. And then all of a sudden getting thrown into it, played very admirably, admirably considering the circumstances. And then speaking of quarterbacks, did the asking about if Cade McNamara got any actual reps in spring ball, um, when will he get any work? Will he be ready and effective when the bullets start flying? So Cade McNamara recovering from knee surgery, he got some seven on seven reps. We did not see him in the 11 on 11 portion of the open practice, but a good sign that he's at least able to do seven on seven. I'd imagine that they're probably exercising a lot of caution considering just how valuable a quarterback is who has experience like Cade McNamara has. 11, or 7-on-7 seven seven is still helpful, but it's not quite the same. Even 11-on-11 11 11 isn't really the same as when bullets are flying. But he's got a lot of time. You know, this is May 14th as I record this. Early September is a long ways away. He's got all of fall camp. If he's not, if he for some reason is not fully healthy at the beginning of fall camp, that's when I would probably be a little more concerned and of course, you'd like for Cade to have that time to get familiar with the playbook, even in the spring. But I think he can make up that time in August as long as he's healthy for that, which all indicators seem to point toward that happening, considering the fact that he's doing as much as he was doing a month ago. And then an interesting question about the transfer portal. Isn't taking players in the transfer portal an admission that you have been outcoached and or outrecruited in many cases? I see it differently. I see it as even the highest acclaimed coaches and the highest acclaimed recruiting classes, even those schools have been involved in the portal. And particularly for a school like Iowa, it's a chance to attract talent that you wouldn't otherwise have a great chance at getting. Caleb Brown is an example who I know there's a lot of hype around the fan base about wide receiver who commits to Ohio state with Iowa being tight end. You Ohio state is much closer to wide receiver. You particularly when you look at the last few years of the NFL draft, you're probably not going to beat out Ohio state for too many wide receiver recruits. Never say never, but that's just not really going to realistically happen a ton. Take Cade McNamara as an example. 
it's not easy to beat out Michigan for a quarterback recruit. You're getting some players who maybe Iowa would have a hard time seriously being in the conversation with the first time around. And you're getting a different kind of player. Let's say, and obviously the scale with the scholarship numbers, this isn't going to happen, but let's just say hypothetically speaking, you get a high school commit for 2023 tomorrow. And then the day after that, you get transfer portal recruit. And obviously that wouldn't happen with the 2023 class being done, but just for this hypothetical, you have the recruit who is going to be coming in as a true freshman. That person's outlook and that person's timeline in terms of being a significant contributor at Iowa is oftentimes me different, particularly in football. Obviously, other sports are different, but particularly in football, you're not going to see a situation too often where you have the high school recruit being ready day one to be a contributor. You just haven't seen, you've seen it in some cases, certainly, but you don't see it in huge numbers at Iowa. So the transfer portal players that you're getting, like Nick Jackson from Virginia is going to be an immediate contributor. You have to imagine. Rusty Feth, probably the same thing from Miami of Ohio. Cade McNamara, obviously, yes. Eric Hall, yes. So I see it as two different pools and kind of the same way that NFL teams take advantage of free agency. And you can't be entirely dependent on free agency to build your NFL team. Draft is still really important. Same way that high school recruiting is still going to be really important at the college level. But the portal I see is another facet to it um, that you have to be participating in to keep up. And last but not least, a question about Iowa women's basketball's use of the transfer portal, particularly with the need for post players, or maybe I should say the lack of use of the transfer portal. As I record this, they have not landed a transfer portal commitment I've said before, I can't remember if it's on podcasts or on newsletter or elsewhere, that there's no real clear timeline for when these players have to commit or in the transfer portal. You have to enter during the windows unless you're a grad transfer or you've gone through a coaching change. But in terms of commitment, you can kind of do it whenever you want. But at the same time, too, you don't want to wait around too long because it can really be a game of musical chairs. And you're going to see some players who just don't find a place. At this point, though, with that caveat being there, with each passing week, the odds go down of whether Iowa is going to get somebody for that spot. So I would expect, and of course, things can change quickly, particularly with the transfer portal. But I would expect right now, if I had to bet on it, maybe not the best analogy considering everything happening at Iowa. But if I had to take a guess right now, I'd say probably not going to get somebody from the portal. The challenge, too, is they've got a full 15 scholarships, 15 out of 15 for 2024-2025. It's not this coming season, but the season after that, if Caitlin Clark uses her COVID year. And you're not going to say no to Caitlin Clark using her COVID year. So there is some incentive to perhaps save that scholarship and not create the 
scholarship hassle of overbooking your team. But at the same time, you'd like to get a player of impact. But then again, how many players of impact are still left in the portal? A lot of the players who could really make a difference, particularly at the post, have already committed. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'll be gone this week and next week, but then looking forward to talking to you all after Memorial Day. Until next time, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.